It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett, Paul War, Ned Simons and Graham Deminick. Yes, I'm back in the chair, everyone. Great. It's been three weeks, but I'm back. Running out of baby, we didn't missed I? missed you. Great. I like the stand-in host. I thought he was he pretty... Was that, he sounded yeah, he was good, really yeah. Really, really professional. He sounded like he, like bald. He just sounded like he had no hair. on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It man. wasn't me. It wasn't Paul. Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, let's crack on, because this week we have got the Doctor's Second Opinion, Blue on Blue, Weighing Up the Turkey and Labour Pains. Yeah. So we'll kick off with the big news today that Tory MP Dr Sarah Wollaston has done the apparently revolutionary act of changing her mind in the EU referendum debate. Wollaston had announced she was going to vote for Brexit, but last night she revealed she would now be backing Remain. The reason? Well, Vote Leave's claim that Brexit would mean £350 million could be spent on the health service every week. Here she is explaining her decision on the BBC this morning. As somebody who's campaigned ever since I arrived in Parliament for, for honesty about data in public life, I couldn't have handed out one of their leaflets or stepped on board a battle bus which had a knowingly misleading figure right at the heart of its campaign. And, and I think the public deserve better, frankly, from both sides. So there we go. Uh, Sarah Williston not happy with the figures used by Leave. She's going to remain, but all those figures are completely True and accurate, aren't they? Paul, why does this matter? Because it's one person, one vote. So, you know, she's, it's one vote the other way. But how does this matter? Why does this matter in the whole context? I think it matters mainly because uh, she hits that key demographic that the Remain camp are desperate to get out to vote. Women, people who sound vaguely sensible, people who are moderately Tory, uh, but not sort of on either extreme, but actually reasonably loyal to David Cameron, but attempted by leave. And let's be honest, she's been tempted by leave. And that's why it's got certain power. Here's someone who was a Brexiter, had weighed it up, but now what? when it push comes to shove, and we're told that actually she made her mind up as soon as she got the postal vote, and that crystallised in her brain, this real decision moment. And she thought, actually, I can't go along with this because I've seen all this 350 million every day on their bus, and it just doesn't feel right. And then, on top of that, I'm pretty sure, there, there are some telltale number 10 style spin messages about, you know, look, this is the, the economy is going to go down the pan. She hadn't previously said that, um, that they, this is going to really harm the NHS. She hadn't really said that before when she was a lever. So it sounds to me like, yes, yeah, she's probably made a, a, her own mind up. But this had a little bit of help once she made her mind I up. thought it was interesting as well. She um, wrote a column in The Times as part of her kind of announcement of her defection. And aside from the NHS £350 million issue, she also accused Vote Leave of kind of running the UKIP playbook 
of, of having turned the leap campaign into kind of a more extreme version the Nigel Farage approach uh, just as you're saying Paul about the kind of the, the, the cogs of number 10 behind it was interesting that George Osborne was making that point on Daily Politics last night about uh, the the leave campaign going very UKIP Wallace yeah. also, she, made a, she made a similar point and, and Cameron that was made exactly the same point in his debate don't forget on yeah. ITV this week about Nigel Farage's yeah. Little England this is a tactic that they're using the number 10 and um, the Remain camp if, if you can tar everything with Farage, then it looks like a winner. That's what they think. We'll, we'll come back to the Tur- to Turkey issue later. But it's ironic, isn't it, that Vote Leave fell out so spectacularly with the other Brexit campaigns which Nigel Farage was involved in because they didn't want Nigel Farage involved. And yet, they're now being accused of playing a UKIP playbook. Um, Graham, what do you think about this? Do you think that a lot of people, the people out there, the normal people, will look at the fact that there's a Tory MP, a doctor who we're supposed to respect, no less, who's gone from... Brexit to remain, will that influence people? I, I think it might do. If you go back to where she actually came from, in two, she was elected in, 2000, in 2010, but she was chosen in 2009 through the um, open primary system when in the middle of the expenses scandal, Anthony Steen, the, the, the sitting MP there, was caught saying stupid things, claiming for stupid things. And they kind of basically, basically this kind of opening, open casting call for a, new, for a new Tory MP. And she emerged as this kind of poster girl for... For, for, for post-expenses politics who was willing to speak her mind. She's just like me and you. She's just a doctor. She just got into politics because yeah. she wanted to save her. She wasn't her. a Tory before either, was she? Well, she, I think she was a member of the party, but she, was, no, she wasn't She was kind of particularly active or anything. She wasn't uh, a career anything. politician. Be no, exactly. Being a special advisor, age of 21. Like she got into politics to save her local cottage hospital was her thing. So there's an element of her being a bit like, a bit like, a bit like us. And she's kind of maintained that. we are doctors, aren't we, really? <laughs> Oh, well, I could, I could, I could probably busk it. I could probably busk yeah. it. But, but she's kind of maintained that throughout her time in, 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 in Westminster. You know, she's spoken out against NHS reform. She's spoken out against government policy. She has been a, a, a rebel. If you look at her record, she's voted pretty much in line with what the government's done. But she's been willing to, when she's had an opinion, to say stuff. And when she has appeared on things like Question Time, people have gone, oh, she does seem, she seems quite sensible. She's all people. right for a Tory. That's exactly. That's what people that, would normally say, yeah. you know, if it's from the left. And, that, and that's supposed to be the power. I think it's not just the Tory audience that this might affect. It's a Labour audience actually quite helpful. It's almost the kind of the conspiracy idea that she did this to get some kind of job or something in government just seems silly to me. I mean, her her existence along, you know, kind of killed the idea of open primaries, the Tory party, because they experimented, as Graham says, with with that method of getting her elected. Yeah. And then so she ends up doing it and ends up being quite rebellious, speaking her own mind. So the fact her existence proves why they didn't do that anymore. So the idea she's sort of doing this for some other motive seems absurd to me. It's time for Stat of the Week. Stat of yeah. the early, Week. Early in the show. Is that, is, that, is that the jingle the, that Paul just sang yeah. in a kind of... I'm not getting... You're that? going, so you're going mate. You're going to America. Going. What I'm am I going doing the jingle for? Go over there. You want the jingle? All right. Yeah. Oh, keep All it right. calm. Oh, it hurts. You're going to push, <laughs> push me out. God, okay, stat. here it is. Single tear for uh, Stat of the Week. Oh, Christ, it's a long one there. Let's get my reading glasses on. Stat of the Week. There are four GPs in Parliament. Two are back in Brexit. They are Dr Liam Fox and Dr James Davies. One is back in Remain, Dr Sarah Wollaston, aforementioned, and one will announce his decision tonight. That's a Dr Philip Lee. So go on. No, that's it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> <laughs> they just loads of other writing underneath. That's for something else. That's for something else. four. I like that. Right, okay, good. So, could be clearer. It could be clearer, to be honest. We could get two and two. Or we could get, get three one. It's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. What's up, what's up, Doc? Yeah, Philip Lee. We've, we've, we've done that already. We've done what's up, Doc. Are you reusing material? How well, dare for, you? That was for a quiz, not <laughs> yeah. a stat. Anyway, 
The blue and blue action went up a gear this week with former Prime Minister Sir John Major launching a no-holds-barred attack on vote leave. Speaking to the BBC's Andrew Marsh show on Sunday, the Remain campaigner, who, let's be honest, is not known for his passion, let rip at Boris Johnson and the others involved with Brexit. Here's a clip. For once, I'm not prepared to give the benefit of the doubt to other people. I'm going to say exactly what I think. And I think this is a deceitful campaign. And in terms of what they're saying about immigration... A really depressing and awful campaign. They are misleading people to an extraordinary extent. Appearing after him on the same show was Boris Johnson, but he decided not to get personal with his response. However, fellow Tory MP and Brexiter Jacob Rees-Mogg had no such hesitation. Here he is on BBC Radio 4. What we've had today are the bitter ramblings of a vengeful man that he is the man who took us into the exchange rate mechanism, destroyed hundreds of thousands of jobs, had people evicted from their homes and led to the destruction of businesses for the sake of his failed European policy. He just sounds like a Dickensian villain, doesn't he? I love Jacob Rees-Mogg, he's great. Um, It seemed to to go up a little bit this week that the the Tory on Tory attack... Graham, it's just going to get worse. We've got two weeks to go, right? What's going to be happening in two weeks' time? They're going to be accusing each other of, like eating children or something well I, I, I don't know how much further they can go really can they I mean it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty bruising is this the is, it, is, is this a is this a high watermark um, we not... say that every week though don't we and then yeah you know, something else happens yeah There's another row I mean tonight we've got I mean what, by the time this comes out you may or may not have heard it but finally we'll have a debate between Boris Johnson yeah. and um, he's got people on his side but it's actually going to be a debate Boris Johnson and Priti Patel and Gisela Stewart up against Angela Eagle Nicola Sturgeon and remind me of the other one I think it's Amber Rudd. Amber Rudd, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's going to be quite interesting seeing how that plays out. I mean, <clears throat> well, let's see. Uh, I think when it comes to the blue and blue damage, a lot of the damage has already been done. I mean, I th- there's no rowing back some of those insults they've made. If Labour were canny, they've logged every single one of these mm. insults. Stored them up for the 2020 general election, whether it's Osborne being wrong about his figures, whether it's the NHS not getting enough cash, there's loads and loads of ammo for Labour there. And Labour, were, you know, if they were smart, are going to be storing those up for their posts. So we saw a little bit, didn't we, at PMQs yesterday, Jeremy Corbyn did a bit of exploiting those divisions in his questions. But I think you're absolutely right. You can, the more they can keep them just for after the after referendum, it's endless, isn't it? But there is a bit of debate fatigue as well, let's be honest. I mean, well, amongst us. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, um, a peak debate, we, I think we passed it at some point this week when George Osborne went on the TV last night. And how many people really saw him with Andrew Mill? I'm not sure. How many people have seen Cameron Although I live? think, um, I think We've the, seen it, but I'm not sure many people I think the, if I'm remembering the figures from what I saw earlier today, I think something around 4 million people watched the ITV one with Farage and Cameron, which was only a, like, a bit less than watched the gen- one of the general election debates. Such as actually quite a lot of people did watch it. Yeah. They might not be watching so much the kind of Andrew Neil, George Osborne ones, but I think those the big ones, the one tonight on ITV, could get, could get quite a lot of people. The sense that I'm getting in, in Parliament and speaking to a lot of Tory MPs is that you, you, from the outside, it looks like all Tory MPs are frothing at the mouth about either Brexit or staying in. There is a lot of Tory MPs who just aren't that bothered about the whole thing. Like the, uh, Johnny Mercer came out this week as well, and he said, look, this is not what gets me out of bed in the morning. I understand it's a big issue. It is one of the big issues, but it's not the big issue. And there are a lot of Tory MPs that I speak to who say, look, I just want this to be over. We've got so much more to do. We want to run the, we want to run the country. We've got things we need 
to do, and this is just tearing us apart. Uh, but that, then again, Johnny did back the Remain camp, yeah. much to the, the chagrin of a lot of people in his constituency. And yeah, that is true, there are the Tory MPs who do think that, who, but they do tend to be Remainers. People who want out of Europe think this is a fundamental issue, a really, really fundamental issue of democracy. So, and there's a lot of Tory MPs who do that. But it does raise the question about, you know, what, do, what have we learned from the TV debate so far? And I, I did a little list here oh, of okay. what we've learned. First TV debate, which was the, I mean, you might not remember this, but it was in Scotland and it was Diane James and Alex Salmon and all these people. Yeah, anyway, was, yeah. we were so young ago, then, weren't we? Ages ago. Um, and what we did uh, from these programmes, we have learned little bits of information. Diane James said twice when asked about would we need a visa if we leave, leave the European Union to go and visit people or to work in, in, in Europe. She said, we just don't know, we just don't know. Well, now that says a lot. You were on paternity, you might not be aware of this, yeah. but that says a lot in, in one sentence about the uncertainty about this leap into the dark. There's a leading UKIP person saying, we just don't know what's going to happen. Um, Salmon said, look, it, we could have a second referendum for Scottish independence within a couple of years. So that was interesting. But he Cat- would say that, wouldn't he, I guess? No, well, but, no but he's got a point. Within the two-year yeah. time frame, it could happen. Cameron on Sky, we found basically he's a public punch bag. You know, when he appeared on Sky, mm. he got knocked about for all sorts of stuff. But he also, um, then, then a day later, Gove appears on Sky, proving that actually, uh, if you're not that well-known like Michael Gove, despite what we all thought, we thought it was well-known, he wasn't that well-known because people thought, suddenly this new Michael Gove, oh, he's really polite, oh, actually, he's OK. And then recently with, with the, the ITV debates, Cameron again got a bit of a kicking on immigration, um, we found out also that he's desperate for this Scottish angle to play it. And Farage himself, the only thing we really found out from Farage is that he wasn't really up to that big moment of, of seizing the moment. And he started talking about things like, you know, alternative medicine uh, being... At, that was odd. Know, I mean, I'm someone who's, as I often say, has followed Farage for a while, and I've never heard him expose the virtues, the alternative medicine industry before and, and just on that what things that we learn i think there's a there's a is there a danger of people being completely turned off by the tv debates on the basis that it's all very in inverted commas right wing i mean it is for, for both sides of the campaign they for, 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 for remain and leave on the sky debates it was a, a tory minister versus a tory prime minister on the itv debates it was a ukip leader versus tory prime minister yeah. and if you're kind of tuning in as among the millions of people who voted Labour and the Green Party, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're looking at these people, thinking, "Hang on a minute, they don't. These people don't don't talk for me." So you're kind of yeah. so there was this kind of feeling of kind of meh about it all. Which is why it's important that Corbyn is meh. Is that kind of millennial word? Is that American? I think it's in New York. I believe it's in New York. But that's why it's important that Corbyn has finally agreed to do the the whole um, Sky special. And he's going to be on Sky on June the 20th at six o'clock and he's going to take questions from a TV audience. So finally you'll get Corbyn on national TV, not in a debate with anyone, but actually saying what Labour's position is or his position. But we'll come on to Labour. We will do. Um, Quiz of the week time. It's called New Labour or Old Danger this week. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And uh, all right, Graham. Yeah, yeah. See what you're doing there. So John Major, who we just mentioned, appeared today alongside... Tony Blair, yeah, didn't he? So, so yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah and, that uh, happened. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And uh, this week, a survey was released which showed that thirty-four uh, percent of young people associate Blair with crimes against humanity. Ah, that was your, your, that was your so scoop. It was my scoop. 
I'm going to read out some other names of history, and you've got yeah. to tell me whether young people had a, whether more young people associated them with crimes against humanity than yeah. Tony Blair. Okay. Than Tony Blair. Okay. okay. More so even than so Tony Blair. What's the answers we give for each um, one? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> get back in the game. Get your head in the game, man. Options. New Labour or Old Danger. So, so Old say, Danger if... If it's more than Blair, Old Danger. Red if it's eyes. less than Blair, New Labour. Yeah. All right? Oh, here we go. I'm knackered. Sorry. Get 34% for Blair. Right, let's start. Okay, Vladimir Putin. Vladimir the, Putin. The more Next. one. What, I think, the one that's, they, the I think more... they'd think he was more of a danger than Yeah, the, come on, come on, millennials here. <laughs> 50%, so you're yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, Charles de Gaulle. I suspect they wouldn't even have heard of him. Yeah, fewer. fewer. Yeah, Quite 9%. a lot fewer. Yeah. yeah, 9%. It's not going as well as I thought this. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Stalin. Did people think Graham. Blair people, was... Yeah, come on. Was, killed, uh, killed more than 6 million people. No, yeah. no, just, do you associate crimes against humanity? Joseph Stalin, do more people associate Stalin with crimes I'm going to say... I'm going I'm to give them credit and say they actually think that Stalin was... More evil than Blair. Yeah. Yes, but not by much. I think that's right. Sixty-one percent. All right. Okay. Uh, Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao. Same again. He's been back in the news of late, of course. Isn't <laughs> yeah, he? John McDonnell. Yeah. yeah. Surely um, he, you know, lot, many millions died in this famine. So true, maybe. But do the do they know do that? Do the youngsters know well, that? Well, they don't know about pop up. Maybe they've got an Asian blind spot. Maybe Southeast Asia just doesn't come in the. Maybe they didn't know about Pol Pot. Oh. European history is all they know about. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to say fewer again. One of these has got to be kind of yeah fewer twenty percent right. really. Yeah. So Tony Blair is more evil than Mao Zedong. Apparently, uh, Saddam Hussein. Come on, <laughs> right? Come on. Look, she's twenty-four years. Eighteen to twenty-four year olds. So they, if they genuinely think that Tony Blair is more evil than Saddam Hussein. That is quite interesting. Yeah. I'm getting it's out so of, I'm interesting. Getting out of the you wouldn't have written it. You would have written it. <laughs> so it can't be true. It's not. Yeah, seventy-five percent. Uh, and finally, President Assad. Assad. Do they even know who he is? Yeah, uh, more. They, surely they think Blair's more. I think they think Blair's more evil than Assad. Assad. Evil. Graham, you gonna have a go? Or? Uh, no, bored? I'm not gonna bother. Right. Okay. Forty-two percent. Is that more than Blair? Yeah. Assad, that's more. It was quite interesting stuff came out. Eight percent of uh, these youngsters hadn't heard of Adolf Hitler. Really? Think about that for a second. Eight percent? Eight percent. Seven percent. They should have listened to Ken Livingston enough, have they? How young are they? Are they five years old? I can forgive that. Seven percent. <laughs> seven percent hadn't heard of Barack Obama. And eighteen uh, percent hadn't heard of Saddam Hussein. I think that's not, that's all right though, isn't it? That's not that, that many people. That might be reflected like, across the wider population Eleven percent hadn't heard of George W. Bush. Uh, that's not just millennials though. I think that's maybe the wider population. Well, we haven't heard of George W. Bush. Yeah, not everyone's obsessed with politics, so. They're not old news junkies like you. That's and just... people listening to this podcast. Yeah, anyway, let's move it on. People turn off. Um, so, we, we, as we mentioned earlier, the referendum TV shows are now in full swing. We had Michael Gove for Leave and David Cameron for Remain, grilled by Sky News political editor Faisal Islam last week. Cameron was up on the telly again on Tuesday, taking part in the ITV Q&A after UKIP leader Nigel Farage faced questions from the same audience. But conspiracy theorists got all hot and bothered after Farage was put on the spot by audience member Imriel Morgan. Here's a clip. You're still anti-immigration, so I don't I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't have that. You are anti-immigration. You use scaremongering and inflammatory comments in your campaign that have gone against people that look 
non-white. How you really, are non-white British people going to stop being really discrimination about their identity and nationality in this country? That is what I really want to know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Great telly. But uh, was she a Huffington Post plant? That was the, they were the rumours. Yeah. Then, explain this. Snuck her Did in. Did we sneak her in? We snuck her in. Did we sneak her in? People were complaining because she uh, blogged Huffington Post that it was a, a conspiracy. But another HuffPost blogger, of course, is Nigel Farage. Yeah. So there you go. They got and him David as well. Cameron. And David Cameron. And Barack Obama's blog for us. Yeah. So and can we just put on the record now? She's not a plant by <laughs> no. us. We're not that organised. <laughs> no. We could better make this podcast work, let alone... It's ridiculous, isn't it? But there was just this notion again that there's this sort of left-wing audience having a go at Farage. But it's one of the problems with TV debates, live TV debates, and obviously the social media around them. You know, people are very quick to... to seize on someone who makes a, a zinger or, or even riles the professional politician. Actually, I thought she made some really interesting and good points and Farage ducked out of an, an, answering. No, I thought the really important point she made was, well, do you know what percentage of people from ethnic minorities vote for you? And he didn't answer that. Now, maybe he didn't answer that because he knows it's a pretty low figure, but I'd be surprised if Farage doesn't know how many people from ethnic minorities support his party. Surely he's done some polling on it. And I think and people, people of, sorry. And there must be a lot of people given that the, the sheer number of people who voted for you get the third biggest party. There must be there must be a figure, there must be a percentage. Yeah. It must be quite if you just said it out loud, it must be quite they, significant. They've got a, they've got a quite an in, which is the point he tried to make to Morgan was that they want the way they put forward is that the current immigration system, because we are trying to get the numbers down, we actually restrict uh, immigration from the Commonwealth. People from ethnic minorities who might have family or historical ties to Commonwealth countries are actually being penalised by the current system. That's the message that he tries yeah. to trot out. So look, we're not racist, this is what we're trying we to do. We get that, but come on, it's coming from Nigel Farage, who, you know, it, it has a sort of tacit endorsement, to put it at, the, at its mildest, of, of casual racism. You know, this is a Ooh. guy. Let's be frank, whenever someone is, says something racist, he doesn't go out of his way to correct them. He doesn't sort of slap them down and say, oh, you can't say that. Um, his big thing is tolerating a lot of this stuff. So when you hear, it's, it's a perfectly legitimate argument for the leavers to make, but it's not a legitimate argument to come from his mouth, unfortunately, or from UKIP's mouths. Because you can say, yeah, if you're a Tory, you're a skeptic. Look, of course I want lots of people from the Commonwealth. Um, you know, I think it's outrageous that we don't mm. get enough... Um, people who are, who got real talent because we have to have all these people who aren't skilled coming from Europe. That's a legitimate argument. But if you say it from the UKIP point of view and from Farage's point of view, with all that history of race, then it just doesn't sound right. Are you suggesting that Farage wasn't motivated to go into politics in order to get more people from the Commonwealth into the United Kingdom. <laughs> Funnily enough, Owen, yes. <laughs> right, okay. might be the case. Okay. What I thought, thought was interesting was the, the comparison between how Farage handled the tricky situations mm. compared, to, compared to Cameron. What, what, what we're going to really remember from that debate, pretty little, apart from that confrontation yeah. and Farage saying, calm, calm down. down there. Yeah. What are you going to remember from Cameron? Nothing at all. So he didn't make a gaffe. So he was, he was polite, he was listening to questions. Yeah. He got the same kind of level, of level of hostility. And it just plays into the kind of... My theory about TV debates is just make sure you don't do anything wrong. Don't go away with a gaffe. Don't go but away I, with I, a... But, set the half. but yeah. I think that that's the wrong strategy for number 10. I really do. I know they're playing it safe. and they're safe. Their, their assumption is we're on home ground. It, uh, effectively, you know, if it's a score draw, it's like a win. But actually, I think it, it's actually in the favour of the, the leavers and, and the Brexiteers, if there is Cameron not punching hard and making any effective case for staying in, because all the arguments that people talk about in the pubs and everywhere else 
are a Brexit arguments. They really are. The turkey point, whether yeah. it's the 350 million, why don't we spend it on the NHS? These guys are unelected. Those are the arguments you're hearing in the pub. No one in the pub is saying, actually, yeah, God, yeah, the economy's going to go down there's the pan. God, there's going to be yeah. loads of people dying in World War Three if we don't vote Remain. No one's doing that. And Cameron needs to actually punch through in these Can debates. Can we talk about Turkey now, quickly? Because go on. this has suddenly become the big thing in this debate. I remember David Cameron in front of the liaison committee a few weeks ago, it must have been a month ago now, said, Turkey's not going to join for decades, don't let influence your vote. But a lot of people would have heard from that well, Turkey's going to join in a few decades, yeah. anyway. So the Leave campaign are now really seized on this issue. And even when Michael Gove put out a statement about um, extending the voter registration, it was people now have long enough to register to vote to stop Turkey becoming part of the freedom movement zone, all that kind of nonsense. Is Turkey going to join the EU within the next 50 years? Well, George Osborne actually had an answer, didn't he, last night? Well, he night? said no. no. He kind of went further and was kind of saying they're not going to join at all. I think perhaps because of the wiggle room that was given before, they're kind of saying even further it's not going to happen. And the point, when you say no, what time frame does that mean? Does that mean 50 years, 100 years? You know, you, you don't know, do you? This, I think there's a little bit of Cameron Osborne getting a taste of their own medicine here because th- th- Turkey has become uh, become a thing and it wasn't really at the beginning. And it's exactly. very similar to the election last year when the vote vote midaband get get salmon a thing started to kick in. That was just something that they kind of came across and became worked on the doorstep. So they kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And that became pretty much in the last week before the election. That was literally all they were saying, yeah. don't vote. It seems very similar on, on the Turkey thing. They've, they started on talking about the NHS and, and, and how important that was, but that seems to, seems to have died a death. And I think we're getting this, this one thick and fast now. I yeah, I think Turkey, I mean, it's anecdotal, but I've talked to people, friends of friends, who you would expect to be Remainers, mm. who suddenly out of nowhere in the conversation said, well, yeah, but Turkey's going to join, aren't they? And you think, wow, that message is having cut through. It really is. Whether it's with public sector workers, whether it's with young people, that thing of that fear of 80 million Turks suddenly, loads more people coming in here and taking jobs. Now, it's cynical, it's divisive, it's wrong in many ways, because it's not going to happen, because you can bet your bottom dollar that Germany's going to veto it. Um, And And lots of countries are going to veto it. Cyprus, you name it. So it's not going to happen. But the spectre is, is out there and Cameron's done very little to stop And it's it. very easy for the Leave campaign to play clips and quote Cameron saying how much he wanted Turkey to join. Yeah. So it, it's quite a, an easy thing for them to do. Yeah. So amid all the Tory battles, Labour does have a key role to play in the e-referendum for the Remain side particularly. I caught up with London Mayor Sadiq Khan earlier on today to speak to him about whether the party is doing enough to get out the vote ahead of the referendum. What we all need to do, we all have responsibility, is to spend the next two weeks talking to our friends, neighbours, family, work colleagues and the benefits of the European Union. Uh, you know, over the next two weeks we can't afford to let all the talk be about David Cameron versus Boris Johnson or Michael Gove versus George Osborne or Nigel Farage versus the Tory party. We've got to talk to people around the country and explain the benefits of the European Union. And, you know, the reality is there are millions of Labour voters, millions of Labour supporters who still aren't sure what our position is and our job over the next two weeks is to make sure they are uh, under no illusion that our view, our united view, is that our benef- the benefit to our countries remain in the European Union. You've got a little bit of criticism for sharing a platform with David Cameron, for somebody in the Labour Party. Uh, what did you make of that criticism? Would you do it again? 
it's really important that when, when things are in London's interest uh, for me to work closely with the government, I do so. Uh, and, you know, what's really important is David Cameron and I put aside any personal differences we may have, any differences we may have on, on, the, on other issues, and campaign together when it, when it matters for our city. So, for example, don't be surprised to see me gain on trade missions with government ministers if it's in London's interest to do so. And similarly, you shouldn't be surprised to see me campaigning with a Prime Minister who bl agrees with me that it's in our city's interest, in our country's interest, for us to remain in the EU. You said before that you'd shared stage with extremists. Did you feel like you were sharing a stage with extremists well, when you to, were David Cameron? I mean, to be fair, I, mean, I think I spent my, my entire uh, adult life being criticised for who I share platforms with, and uh, it's interesting who's criticising me now. But look, the important thing is this, that you know, you know, David Cameron and I agree that it's in our country's, interest to remain, our country's interest to remain in the European uh, Union. And we may disagree on you know, what nuance we put on and which issues matter to us the most. Mm. So you know, he may emphasise one issue, I'll emphasise another issue. But we both agree that we want people to vote to remain in, in the European Union. And what's important is, look, for when issues are really big, when they matter, to put aside any petty differences, and they are in the grand scheme of things that he and I may have. Are Labour doing enough? Sadiq Khan today said they need to be crystal clear. In their, in their backing of Remain. Jeremy Corbyn's come on a criticism of being a bit lukewarm. Graham, do you think that the Labour message is getting through? Are they being crowded up by the Tories? Do they care? Uh, no, care? I think the message we've had, we've had, the, we've had the poll saying that the that voters don't know where, um, where, where Labour is in this. They're confused. We've had the Google searches when Corbyn was making his speech saying, what side is, is Jeremy Corbyn on? Uh, Corbyn. From, was that from his own team? <laughs> yeah, that, that was the press officer, I think. That was coming from, yeah. Um, we've had, we, he's, he's not taking part in any of these high-profile high debates apart from this kind of fairly, just him versus a bunch of kids, it sounds like. And on, also that's on the same like the England, I mean, just, just in terms Euros, of, right? just in terms of prominence, just in terms of being a president, it's not even saying anything, he's just not even... Doing yeah. that and no, they they keep telling me the Corbyn team. Look, this is very deliberate tactic. We want to, no part of anything to do with sharing a platform with Cameron. We're a different kind of leadership. Jeremy's a different kind of Labour leader in loads of That's ways. That's true. <laughs> and, true. And, it, and in this sense as well, he's never going to support Cameron. He's not going to take part in a photo call with him in a million years because Cameron is the enemy. Okay, so if you accept that, but they say they're more effective in ta in targeting trade unionists, left wing voters and saying, actually, you might have thought, you know, Europe was a boss's Europe. Jeremy kind of agreed with you, but actually, when push comes to shove, you've got to vote, remain. And they think it's more effective. They think having a purely red message to red voters But is works. that, because I think that's a very good argument they've got, but is that message getting across, though? You can have a very different message than what David Cameron's doing and the rest of the campaign and not sharing a platform with them. I understand that. But if they've got this different message, that's still got to be heard, hasn't it? You still got to get that out there. And I don't think you see that that much. You don't see him on TV delivering that message. You don't see many people, kind of his allies, doing the same thing. I think it's a problem because, I mean, you'll see a bit more of this, I think, tomorrow. But Labour's big tactic here is if you vote Brexit, you'll get more Tory cuts. Okay. the Tories will be off the leash. It'll be a Tory Britain. You'll have Tory privatisation, this, that and the other. If, if we lose the sort of the nice um, bounds of, of, and norms of being in, within the European Union, if we let the Tories run and people like Gove and etc. run Britain, and woe betide you. And that's the scary message to Labour voters. The problem with that is, 
it's sort of anti-Cameron, that message. And they're supposed to be, it's very, very difficult to have that mixed messaging. PMQs as well, it was noticeable that Corbyn was trying to land blows on Cameron about divides in the Tory party. And Cameron was just like, mate, come on, just have a leave it. Yeah, okay, we can get back to this in kind of three weeks' time. And it's like, again, it's the kind of, maybe it's the vice he's getting in the kind of, you know, and the guidance he's getting, but he couldn't he have done something like you know, if his message is to get out to to, to, to young people, fifty student unions in fifty days, yeah. or something, you know, a kind of Jim Murphy esque well, we kind that. of go on, go on talk about right. That. Well, that's true, a Jim Murphy esque kind of something, you know, getting on his his iron iron brew box and going. You, you could do something. I mean, it just seems so. It worked low, for Jim Murphy. It did work for <laughs> Jim Murphy. It's so low frequency, but I may, but maybe he's doing it on Snapchat, I think, and I'm not. I think I'm not, I'm not seeing it. So who knows? I think you're right. One problem. We're Snapchatting today, by the way. We are yeah. I don't know what that means. What do we but do? It's a first. It's a first with Snapchat. So if you if you go onto the Snapchat, he says, yeah. and you do whatever you do, you can see us. I want to have, yeah. have his face. I like, like how you act like you're considerably older than you actually are. <laughs> anyway, but there's a really important point here, which is who's going to vote leave, who's going to vote remain. And brings me on to Rob Hayward, the veteran Tory pollster and sort of elections analyst. I had a chat with him this week. Um, because he's made waves. This is the guy who called the general election right, okay? So in January 2015, he said, all the polls are not picking up these these Tory voters. They're just not picking them up. Um, And he says the polls at the moment have got another big flaw that looks like it's neck and neck in leave and remain, but actually they're not picking up these key voters that they failed to pick up last year. These voters are the missing voters with a capital M. They're a motorway man with a mortgage, they're married, they're comfortably off, they, but, but not so comfortably off that they, they're not worried about job losses. But these are people you normally, in work, a hard-working sort of Mondeo man, expect to vote remain because they've got a say in, in the economy going well. Now, th- th- what's always been assumed is that the people who vote UKIP or mad Brexiteers are people who are sort of raging against the machine, who are sort of on the periphery of Britain. They've, had, they've been passed by by modern Britain. You know, they live in these Good coastal left towns. They're the left yeah. behinds. That, but, and then that's always been the assumption. And the assumption has been is the people who are not left behind, the people who are getting on, people who are actually working, these motorway men who go up and down the country, and, and whether they're in sales or whatever, they're working for these companies, um, that they are all going to be Remainers. But the research coming back from Rob is that, no, they're all beginning to say, actually, no, I'm a Brexiter. Um, and similarly, in other groups, the Labour groups, Labour voters in the north are saying, actually... The reason I've, I've been floating and flirting with Farage and UKIP in local elections, European elections, because actually, ultimately, I don't want to be in Europe. And it's a patriotism thing. It's a gut nationalism. It's not necessarily about Europe. It's about, I like being British. It's, it's a white van man thing. Absolutely. It's about supporting England. And they're not being picked up in the polls either. And that actually, both those categories are really a real problem for the, for the Remain camp. Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't just us who were a bit uh, dubious about Jeremy Corbyn's support for Remain. Uh, Mick Hucknell, he of Simply Red, tweeted this week saying that he wanted Jeremy to either come up one way or the other. And we'll leave you with the clip of Labour's depth leader, Tom Watson, responding through song. See you next week. Holding back the years <laughs> Thinking of the fear I've had so long Good morning, colleagues. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.